Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Merkel Media. Welcome back to another motherfucking episode of Kill the Mockingbirds with your host, Sean Chris. Joe Thomas from the chopper now again. He's in the chopper. There's no bumps, baby. There's no bumps. There's no bumps. I'm on the flat plane. It's crazy right now. Oh, my God, man. I can't, I'm not going to miss. It's a flat plane, y'all. It's crazy. Woo. Brat. Brat. Get in the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we are jacked about this episode. And if everybody can tell, I kept saying flat plane. We are doing a flat earth episode for y'all. I know you guys think we rail on it all the time, but we are very open minded. And we've got a super, super dope dude, Mario Garza, here from Symbolic Studies. How you doing, Mario? Let everybody know what you do, and we're about to get it going crazy. Indeed, indeed. I am stoked to be here, guys. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is Mario from Symbolic Studies. You guys can find me at SymbolicStudies.com. I'm all over the place on social media, YouTube, things like that. But my main hub is my website, SymbolicStudies.com. Um, I'm stoked to get into this topic. There are a lot of different angles to get into but this is something I've been looking into for a number of years now, and I'm happy to get into it. Yeah, and I think uh, that it's a good topic to get on to because a lot of times, like, my problem with anything is that we hear the rep- the same repetitive notions, right? Like, it, they're talking about COVID or they're talking about Flat Earth or they're talking about BLM protests. If I start seeing the same regurgitated um, notes, it kind of it discourages me from wanting to look further into that or, like, I feel like they're not really critically thinking. You know what I mean? And when I heard you on a couple podcasts, I was like, man, that's pretty interesting. Uh, you know what I mean? You got me thinking because it wasn't the same thing that we're hearing constantly over and over and over again. That's right. Absolutely. And that is one of my criticisms, I guess, with the Flat Earth community is that they've been regurgitating a lot of the same information for years now. And so I've distanced myself from that community in a lot of ways. I think that there's a lot of unnecessary baggage that comes with the Flat Earth label or claim And so I actually can't say that I'm a big fan of the label uh, itself. And I'm just not a fan of labels in general, but 
To tell you the truth, when I first started looking into this topic, there were so many things that I thought were very revealing that just as I progressed with my symbolic research, a lot of stuff kept on coming back to things that that I had researched regarding the shape of the earth and everything else. And a lot of it has to do with the northern sky. A lot of it has to do with geocentrism. And a lot of it has to do with the North Pole. And so I think that this topic in a lot of ways uh, is very insightful for people who are interested in magic, occultism, mythology, all sorts of different things, you know. So it really the implications are absolutely huge with uh, some of the stuff I've come across. Yeah, that is uh, why we got you on the show, because, you know, to Sean's point, too, and to what you just said, it's tough when you're talking to a brick wall. And I think that's what a lot of times people feel like that aren't flat earthers. They feel like when they're talking to someone who has an idea that the earth's flat, that there's no budge with those people. It's this way. And I've got the math. I'm going to show you how it works. And there's no, there's no leeway to being wrong. Whereas Sean and I, who generally speaking, we're, I guess what they would consider globe tards, but uh, we're globers, but we're also hollow earthers. We, we, we're really deep down that rabbit hole of hollow earth and we're very open-minded. And at the same time, Sean and I are also open-minded to if the earth's flat, man, it's flat. It doesn't change the way I wake up in the morning. It's cool to look into. It, I love understanding how everything connects, especially when it comes to the occult. But, you know, I think when you get these ideologies and you get so packed in with a certain thing, I think at that point you stop your brain from expanding and being able to see beyond that because, again, the earth could be flat, but let's look into other ways it could be flat then, not not the same regurgitated stuff. And honestly, a lot of stuff that they stole from the guys that said the moon landing was fake. So at the end of the day, that's where it really all started. And a lot of those guys are pretty pissed off at the flat earthers right now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, exactly. Well, you know, since you mentioned hollow earth, I think that's a great place to start because I was a hollow earther for a little while. Uh, now, I think for the rest of my life, I'm not going to claim any sort of label or title. It just does not make sense to me. And I think in a lot of ways, it might be a fool's errand to even have a map of the domain in which we live. You know, I think it might be one of these things where we're not actually supposed to know exactly the true construct of everything. Um, it's the same way where a fish in a pond isn't going to know what's around the pond or the lake or whatever. You know what I mean? And so it's one of these things where I'm very curious about what all of these things uh, might entail, what they might look like, you know, the details of, of this construct and everything else. But I'm kind of at the point where I don't know if it actually makes sense to create a model, you know, because there's a problem with models and there's a problem with maps and the map is not the terrain. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard that before, but it's really interesting. You know, um, someone can create a map of a terrain, but it doesn't mean that's actually what the terrain is anymore. Right. But after a certain point, if people just follow the map and look at the map, they're going to assume that that is what the terrain is. And so map um, cartography in general, as a study and as, as a science and everything else, it is very, very, um, it's been used for devious purposes. I'll just put it that way. So I don't know if we even currently have an accurate map of things. And so there, there is an issue there with creating these models and putting them out there for the public. Um, but, you know, with Hollow Earth, 
the poles play a big part in hollow earth right a lot of people think that there might be some sort of entrance at the poles uh specifically the north pole and that is one of the things with the focus of my work is that i am fascinated with the poles so polar expeditions all of the different claims about there being a hidden land or it being an entrance somewhere and this actually taps into this really really ancient story about the north being a gateway of sorts to other realms. And so I created a presentation called uh, Seven Gates to the Great Beyond. And that is one of the things that I'm just like tripping out about right now is that there are a number of stories of um, basically groups saying that if you truly want to ascend out of here, you can do it via the Northern Sky, via the North Star. And uh, a lot of people think that this is where the stairway to heaven actually exists. And so um, there are a number of groups out there. It does make sense where they basically say that your soul ascends to the northern sky upon death. Uh, the Egyptians refer to it as the horn of a great bull, you know, um, regardless if it's flat or round or something else. It appears as though we have a magnetosphere around Earth. And that there is an opening at the north, which is why um, the Aurora Borealis, the northern lights, why there's that effect at the North Pole towards the uh, Arctic Circle and everything else, because there's literally an opening at the north. And so uh, this concept to a lot of primitive and ancient people um, was well known, especially to people in the north as well. They, they had a, a really great understanding of all of this stuff. And I've been fascinated to learn that there are occult groups, esoteric orders, that actually acknowledge this exact same phenomenon of being able to ascend through the northern sky uh, via the North uh, Pole or the, the North Star. And so just to clarify, so one of the things that I just uh, I have to say um, right off the bat is that when I refer to the North Pole, there is a correspondence with the northern sky as well so the northern sky has a correspondence with the northern part of earth and it's long been believed that once again this is a bridge or that there's a stairway or a ladder this is what jacob's ladder is all about uh if you look into freemasonic tracing boards uh it's really interesting and there's many many variations of this exact same kind of artwork but oftentimes you'll see uh in some of the tracing boards either a staircase or a ladder going towards a seven-pointed star. And this seven-pointed star, in my opinion, is Polaris, which is the pole star. It also goes by the north star, uh, the load star, uh, the star of the sea. It's gone by so many different names. And this star was really significant in early navigation. So if you knew where the north star was, you can find your way to your destination or you can find your way home. And so um, this northern sort of concept um it, there there's huge implications all over the place with it but what i think happened is that you know most people today acknowledge the sun as kind of like their main focus with uh time even spiritually things like that but there was a time before that so there was a time before uh as an example the 12 signs of the zodiac being like the main thing as like a sky clock uh and it was more geocentric and so before heliocentrism, we were in a geocentric reality. So whether you're a flat earther or you're a ball earther or whatever, you have to acknowledge that before heliocentrism, geocentrism was the thing. 
And with geocentrism, there is a uh, acknowledgement of the northern sky and the pole star and everything that represents. And so if you look in the night sky and if you were to take a time lapse photo of what's happening in the sky, you're going to see a streak of stars revolving around Polaris, revolving around the pole star. And so this has been compared to a great wheel or a mill. Um, oftentimes it's compared to a chariot wheel, actually. And um, this was like the framework for how people believed the heavens were uh, structured. They believed that the pole star was right in the middle. They didn't believe. They know they knew the pole star is right in the middle. These stars revolve around it. And so they considered this to be like a divine framework. Um, and so they believed that. As above, so below. So if this is what's happening in the night sky, if this is how the heavens uh, works, then we should have something similar on Earth. So there's a whole uh, lineage. There's a whole uh, history of people literally trying to mimic what's happening in the northern sky and what's happening in the heavens here on Earth. So that's why a lot of primitive huts and I've done a bit of research on all of this stuff. Um, a lot of primitive huts, you know, they have an opening at the top or a teepee. You have an opening at the top, you know. And so uh, it was this as above, so below concept. They would have the hearth in the middle and they believed that if the heavens were designed this way, kind of in a uh, concentric uh, sort of reality with a sacred center in the sky, then we should, you know, construct our uh, houses this way and we should basically build our communities this way. Once heliocentrism got into the mix, the focus turned from a northern perspective with Polaris, the pole star, towards the path of the sun, which is called the ecliptic. And so there was a point in time where people were more focused on the northern sky, but now they're more focused on the path of the sun. And uh, personally, to me, I think that things are kind of thrown out of whack because of that. You know, so there's this whole geocentric, heliocentric thing that comes into play with uh, all of this northern symbolism stuff that I've been talking about. Um, but yeah, so that was just a bunch of random things right there. Uh, and so my stream of consciousness can kind of go on with this topic because there are so many different things yeah. at play here. Is there anything here that you want me to expand on or do you have any questions? Yeah, well, uh, what I was liking is uh, where you're talking about when you said out of whack, right? And building models. So when we're building models, that's just what... We think it as just like when we talk about like uh, things in ancient, uh, you know, history where people are like, well, this is probably how it was. Or when they're putting dinosaur bones together, we talk about like that's your projected projection of what it should look like or what you think it <laughs> should look like. So I think we get tied down into any kind of like map or or uh, model of where people are like, I I'm kind of like in the middle of like what you're saying. And I also have a kind of a belief. And I don't know if it's kind of what you were saying, too. It's almost like, you know, how. It went from geocentric to uh, heliocentric, and it kind of threw everything out of whack. It's almost like that idea of, well, it is what you think it is, right? Like, if you think it's a, a diamond shaped, if you think uh, what it doesn't matter because it's your perception of the world, and that's how you formulate after it and what, what matters to you and how you're building it. And, and that's why I think so many people get stuck on it because they think it's important for people to think exactly how they think when, when it's something that we don't know about, right? Like, I, I really think there's so much to this plane or uh, planet, whatever we call it, right? Like that we don't even know, right? We're just scratching the surface on everything. So that could have changed so many, uh, uh, just our mental, uh, our consciousness of now going from geocentric to heliocentric, right? Like that could be a exactly. significant occultic pattern to change, to change our rhythm off so that we can be off 
And now our, our thought processes are going to change constantly. Exactly. And I'll just say that, um, you yeah, know, for sure. Yeah. Joel, if you want to add anything, feel free. Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, the listeners already know this too, um, well, I'm a non-practicing Freemason, so what you're saying is absolutely true as far as the ladder and and, and seven-point star and all that. You know, I, I've seen it plenty of times um, in the lodge. Uh, number two, uh, I wanted to ask this question, and if you're going to jump on something with what Sean said, that's cool too. I wanted to ask you about the... Um, the Hebrew, the Maseroth, and how that might tie also into this uh, geocentric idea because it was in that pre-time. And I'm curious to, if you've looked into any of that as well and how that might correlate into, um, you know, your findings when it comes to what you think the earth is now. Right, right. You know, no, the Maseroth has not been something that I've uh, taken too much time to dive into, but uh, feel free to elaborate. I'm sure there's something that I could riff off of with it. Yeah, it's not so much that. I, I was just curious if you had, because, you know, that's, well, it just depends on who you ask, but a lot of people think the Zodiac kind of formulated from the Maseroth. And if we're looking at the way the Zodiac uh, connects with um, this geocentrism, uh, I'm just curious if that, if you had ran across anything in your findings, I haven't personally. I just, you know, had just, it just was a thought that popped in my head when you brought the Zodiac. Right on, right on. Yeah, you know, I mean, Basically, um, one of the things that people need to realize is that it's almost like a programming language. And so no matter what code you're using right now, it's all built upon ones and zeros, right? And so it's all built upon, upon previous frameworks and earlier languages. And this is what I'm tapping into with this northern symbolism aspect and geocentrism. So... A lot of what people consider to be, as an example today, solar symbolism used to be known as um, geocentric symbolism. It used to be more Earth-based. And so the, uh, you know, the, the ecliptic, uh, astrology, the zodiac, you know, these 12 signs, even 12 in and of itself, it's very much a solar-based number, you know. And so, um, but all of those constellations of the ecliptic revolve around the North Star. They all revolve around Polaris. And there's just like no way of kind of getting around that. And so to me, the way I'm starting to look at it now is that um, we I'm starting to acknowledge the earlier programming language, the, the ones and zeros, uh, which is more aligned with geocentrism. And uh, as far as kind of like the heliocentric sort of um, psychology the reason why I'm so passionate about Northern symbolism and all this stuff is because it's actually a return to self. It's a return to uh, individuation and your unique personal perspective. So a lot of people think that, um, you know, it's wrong to assume that we are like center stage and people want to believe that, you know, there's all of these different planets and there's all of these different universes and galaxies and everything else. So the multiverse, you know, it's like a, it's a trendy thing right now in pop culture and in, in movies and things like that. Um, I'm kind of really, truly starting to believe the exact opposite. I, I think this is center stage, um, you know, and none of us have ever gone anywhere outside of this, uh, this realm or this domain physically, you know what I mean? And I don't know where you guys are at with like 
the space race or like moon landings or like, you know, any of this type of stuff. But from a personal perspective, Fate! <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I, I don't think, think space we can get is out of real. Here. Yeah, I don't know about if we could get out of here. I think I'm with you. I don't think we could get out of here, but I, I don't, I'm I'm not sold on space being fake or or real either way. Like, I think there's I hold open the possibility to either or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And there's but obviously something going on up there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so uh, people have stargazed forever, you know, but um, to me, it seems like we probably live in a closed system for the most part. And um, but I think that there is more than likely this central gateway, this central ascension point that kind of has been lost, uh, you know, to the sands of time, but that a lot of groups still revere and still work with, which is a very, very interesting rabbit hole. But uh, more than anything, though, I think the heliocentric sort of um, perspective growing up, being taught about a solar system, you know, having um, kind of a solar based construct for everything. I really, truly believe um, it actually takes you away from your inner journey. It takes you away from understanding who you actually are. It takes you away from your true north and your true authenticity it ends up becoming about external validation and things of that sort instead of internal validation so there's a whole psycho spiritual sort of concept between geocentrism and heliocentrism and um i don't want to say that they're like the end all be all heliocentrists but you know the church you know uh with the church you know they very much favor heliocentrism and the sun and you know christ is the sun so I think that this solar centric sort of mentality, um, I think it takes you away from self and your uh, your true center, your, uh, you know, and doing your own inner work. That's another thing I'm really passionate about is just, you know, knowing who you are, knowing your threshold, you know, knowing uh, your line in the sand. Like, what do you actually stand for? Do you stand for anything? You know, what triggers you? You know, uh, where are you at peace? Things like that. And I'm finding this through line between researching northern symbolism researching a lot of this geocentric stuff and kind of getting back to that place personally so i that's how i tend to look at things yeah i'm with you on that because i talk about that a lot too like a lot of people want to make the world a better place or and, and and i always say there's only one way is changing yourself and making yourself the best version of yourself and figuring out what you can do because then you're going to radiate that positive energy right you're going to be able to you inherently like unintentionally make the world a better place by making yourself better but people That's have it, it backwards where they think they need to do for everybody else not saying you don't help people but they, they think that they need to live their life for other people and then that actually deters from the actual goal of making it a better place because you're not better yourself you haven't put those pieces together and and i think that's what people are trying to find in a lot of like the conspiratorial truth or world but at the same time we fall into the same traps of what they would call sheep of anybody else because we get into that human state of where we want to bond with people. So we don't want to be wrong or we don't want them to think of us differently. So we agree on everything instead of just doing mm. what's best for us and, and actually building off that. That's why I think it's important to have discussions with tons of people. Cause there's, I mean, there's no way that you can agree with everybody. And if you do, then you're not being true to yourself. That's it, dude. Yeah. It's funny you brought up the church too. It's funny you brought up the church too, Mario. Uh, I, I completely agree with you with that. And at the same time, I'm a Christian. So it's it's a weird paradox that I have there. But I also am very uh, 
We talk about this on the show a lot. I'm very much against the church and what they've done to disrupt uh, Christ's teachings. I think his teachings were always meant for us to connect with other people and also uh, grow ourselves from the inside out. And to me, that was what I always got from it. It wasn't all of this uh, control and uh basically matrixes that they create around us. And I think that's something that's always lost um, as people try to expand their minds and grow. And, you know, I, I just have a hard time with people that get so locked into ideologies and they can't see past it. You know, I tell people all the time, like, you know, I read the Bible, but it's probably, if you read it, it like it's supposed to be read, it's one of the most supernatural, uh, esoteric books you'll ever read if you're actually like really looking at it. And I think that the church took away all that out of it because they didn't want people to connect to kind of what you're saying, this other, uh, reality that I think has been lost for a long time. And I think there are people like us here that are speaking with each other that are trying to uh, seek that, that are looking for that actively. And we know that we're not always going to be right. And I'm okay with my matrix being broken. I think that's important. And we try to talk about that on the show a lot is constantly breaking your matrix and realizing that your ideologies can be broken, but when they're broken, you're, you're getting closer to, like you said, your true self. That's right. Exactly, dude. Uh, you know, it reminds me that there are a lot of things with the church that very much uh, relate and correspond directly to Northern symbolism and geocentrism and everything else. As an example, one of the things I'm realizing is that there are a number of deities that were actually considered to be polar deities, not solar deities, but at a certain point, things were flipped and things got turned around. And so a lot of uh, polar symbolism actually relates directly and very nicely with Mercury. And so Mercury is something that uh, Mercury, Hermes, or Thoth, right? Um, Mercury is someone that I'm going to be talking about on my channel moving forward because I have before, but I really need to unpack some of this stuff because it is absolutely killer information. I have to get it off my chest. But, you know, Christ, as an example, obviously I said that he's a solar deity. But on a deeper level, I think that his earliest versions or forms were actually very mercurial. And you'll see that this is a case with a number of deities that they started off being very mercurial. And then later on, they were kind of turned into being a little more solar centric and kind of my classic example of this. Uh, the first time I ever read this was in a book, by the way, from the 1890s. It was called um, The Night of the Gods by this fellow named John O'Neill. And he blew my mind and he had a whole section called Polar versus Solar Worship. And he went through a number of deities where this was the transition. And there's a deity in um, ancient Egypt. His name is Ptah. And he's usually standing very upright. He'll have a staff. Actually, this is where you get the Oscar statue from. He looks very much like the Oscar statue. He has a shaved head or he's bald. And um, basically, nowadays, if you ask an Egyptologist or uh, a hobbyist who's into Egyptology, they'll say that he's a solar deity. He relates to the sun. And he makes the case that he was actually a polar deity, that he was a, um, a deity of the north, which is why he's holding that staff. And so uh, notice that there's north pole, pole star. It's this idea that there's a symbolic pole. Oftentimes it's called the world pole, uh, the world axis, the cosmic axis, the axis mundi, that there's this thing that stretches from the northern part of Earth 
to the northern sky. And so when you see a deity holding a staff or a, a scepter, this is a polar reference. You know, people who are creating this artwork or people in today's world may not have that understanding, but I'm going back to the ones and zeros. I'm going back to the previous code. I'm going back to the geocentric understanding of things. So there's a lot of phallic symbols that are actually uh, symbolic of this axis mundi, this bridge from earth to the heavens. And so when you look at an obelisk or a tower or a standing uh, stone or a tree, there's a million different examples of this. To me, this is the, the heart of what these things actually symbolize. It's humanity wanting to uh, have a connection with the heavens, wanting to kind of commune uh, with the cosmos. And oftentimes, people back in the day, my understanding is, um, is that you would have this standing stone or you would have this tree in a sacred center, a cultural location that actually meant something to you and your people. And so my understanding as well is that it was not uncommon for people, if you had a tribe or whatever, that you wanted to know what the cultural sacred center location was of, of your people. So if you lived on an island or if you had a particular region that you occupied, you knew the exact middle spot of where your people dwelled. And oftentimes you would have a temple or you would have a stone or a tree or uh, often too, there was a mounds or mountains too that it would be symbolized by. And they considered this to be the bridge between worlds, the bridge uh, between the, uh, you know, the underworld to where we live uh, right here, Middle Earth, <laughs> if you want to call it that, and then uh, to realms above. And so this was definitely a common thing. And my understanding, too, is that uh, there were a lot of uh, initiations and rituals and things like that that took place at this central location. And some of these central locations are very well known and still exist. So take, um, you know, Jerusalem as an example. Take the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you know, um, the Dome of the Rock, right? So there's a rock within, um, within this structure, which is at the heart of Jerusalem, which is in the heart of Israel, which is uh, at the heart of Jewish culture. And people from all over the world go to this cultural site and they consider it to be one of these sacred center locations, which is why everybody flocks there. And so um, this central location was so important to people that they thought that if they lost it or got destroyed or something to that effect, that was the beginning of the end for your people. And so groups who still have a sacred center location, that is so powerful, like you have no idea. You know, um, in Saudi Arabia, you have Mecca and you have the Kaaba cube. Right. So you have this black cube, people from all over the world, Muslims from all from all over the world go there and they revolve around this cube seven times. That's my understanding is that you're supposed to go around it seven times because there is this very interesting connection with the number seven and this sacred center and what's going on in the northern sky. And in part, this is related to the fact that right around Polaris, you have uh, the uh, Ursa Major which is uh, the Great Bear or the Big Dipper. And then closer to Polaris, you have the Little Dipper or Ursa Minor. And actually, the tip of Ursa Minor's handle is the pole star itself. Both of these constellations, the Dipper constellations, have seven stars to them apiece. And so this number seven, you'll find all over the place in Ascension material. So there's a lot of different groups who think that it takes seven steps to get from this domain to the next plane over or to the next realm. And uh, there's a lot of mystical shit going on with that too. 
Uh, but the number seven is really important with all of this research um, and everything. That's else. That's my number, so, man. Seven's my number. Really? I was born seven twenty. Yeah, seven twenty one. Uh, and then I tell everybody this is my year because it's 2023, 20, 2 plus 0 plus 2 plus 3, 7, baby. You know what I'm saying? The year of the 7. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, 21 being divisible uh, by 7. Yep. Seven's a powerful number, yep. man. I mean, even uh, I brought up the scepter. Sept, as in septenary, uh, as in seven, you know. Um, and so there's a fantastic book called Stairway to Heaven by uh, Peter Lavenda. And he gets into a lot of this material about groups from all over the world thinking that it took seven steps or seven phases or that there were seven veils between this domain and the next domain over. Uh, there's a lot of alchemical texts that use the number seven. You know, we have the seven traditional planets as an example. And so uh, there's the a lot going on sins, there, right? Seven deadly sins, seven days of the week. You know, it seems yep. to be the number of this construct for a lot of different reasons, but uh, yeah, there's a lot to get into with that. I think a lot of this symbolism I'm not sure if you guys are interested in tarot or not, but I think a lot of the symbolism is actually encoded in the chariot card, which is the seventh card of the major arcana. So we have the, the wheel symbolism, the turning of the heavens, you know, things like that. Um, the chariot is kind of symbolic of um, making this journey to the north. You know, now we're getting into psychopomp symbolism. So, you know, there are a lot of deities where they were considered the guide of souls. Um, and so they were the ones who could actually go between realms. They go between realms via this stairway to heaven, you know, which has also been called a uh, post or a column or a pillar, you know, things like that. And so that's where I think we get uh, the post office from and postage from, you know, it has to do with uh, going between uh, places via this central post. You know, this is what Mercury is all about. You know, he's a psychopomp, so he's a guide of souls. So. I think the whole entire thing with death is that it very much corresponds to uh, this northern location. And, you know, um, this is where they considered the throne of God to be as well. There's lots of God and goddess symbolism, you know, with the northern sky. So um, I kind of think that with heliocentrism, a lot of this stuff is just kind of lost, essentially. Like you said, that kind of makes us lost. Like we really can't find uh, our tap to the to the the creator or, or, or what do they call it? Like, you know, home base or, or our true divine selves, if they switch it, right? Like if everything is the center, you know what I mean? If the center is different, that does change thing. And I think that's a good argument that people would be proponents of even flat earth. That would be a good argument to be like, instead of just saying, Oh, if this being flat, that, that, that's what they're hiding from us. But what they would really be hiding from us is our true selves with our, oh, with us being the center. You know what I mean? Like you said, like the Northern, a star being the actual center point of everything which shifts it and the, and that makes us now question things differently and not ever really be able to see the true steps because the steps we're taking are we're really being misleaded because it's not the true stairway to heaven per se you know what i mean it's it's this false um equivalency yeah yeah you got it yeah so you were talking about some of these uh groups right some of these uh secret societies that maybe uh tap into um this uh northern uh mysticism and they're aware of this so i wanna I, i'm kind of curious and how this benefits them i i i understand the part of keeping us away from our connection to where we can, you know, essentially get out, I guess would be a way to saying it. But what 
what is there, in your opinion, what's their manipulation here as far as creating a uh, heliocentric model, you know, for everyone to see? You know, they, they put out a million maps, you know, all kind of globes and everything for us to look at, and they shoot rockets in the sky. So if we're on this on this uh, heliocentric plane and everything is, you know, pole based as far as, you know, everything's going towards the north and they want to keep us away from there. You know, what what do you think that they're really trying to accomplish here um, with this? Right. No, that's a great question, man. You know, um, my answer for this has changed a lot over the years. And so to say that I have a committed, passionate answer that I can like firmly stand behind, um, I don't think is accurate. But I have a lot of hunches, you know, and so to me, it's possible that there is a looshing aspect to this reality that we are kind of I always look at it. I use the pond analogy a lot. And when I tend to look at this, but it's almost as though, you know, the fish in a pond, they're unaware of the uh, tools that the fisherman has in his tackle box. Right. All of the different things he has, the bait and the hooks and the kinds of string and, you know, the reel and the boat. And now they have like radar where you, you know, where you, you know, what fish are underneath your boat and everything else. You know, so to me, it's kind of one of these things where um, I feel as though that there are um, entities or spirits or whatever you might want to say that exist just beyond, uh, you know, our uh, purview. You know, um, they're veiled to us to a certain degree. And so it could be something along those lines where there is a looshing aspect where we are being either harvested or taken advantage of in some way, shape or form. Um, I do think that essentially this is me and I'll be clear when I'm really speculating a lot of these things that I feel like I've brought up already. I feel like there's there's a lot of receipts for all of that stuff and there's a lot of material you can look into and digest and there's books you can read and all that kind of stuff. Um but, you know, um, I do think that there is hidden land and I think that there is I think we live in a ringland system, essentially. And so I think Earth is 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 probably just one ringland. I don't think we're the closest ringland in and I don't think we're the furthest ringland out. That's all I'm willing to say, because I don't actually truly know. But it's like an Atlantean thing, you know, so Plato's Atlantis, it's concentric rings, right? Um, the Lord of the Rings. It wasn't just about a physical ring, uh, a piece of jewelry. It was a reference to how things used to be structured back in the day. Things used to be structured where my understanding, maybe not every single group, but way, way, way back when there was a sacred center location. There was an immediate ring. This ring was designated for certain things. There was a ring land outside of that. Certain peoples, certain um, you know, crops or whatever were grown in these different rings. And basically the ringland structure was like a hierarchy. That's what you're talking about. And so I think as above, so below, I think it's kind of a similar sort of thing is that I think we might live in some sort of ringland structure. And people have speculated that, you know, just like uh, the tree rings, uh, just like the growth rings of a tree, you know, that everything emanates from the sacred center. And this is an Eastern concept too. There's so much you can read about regarding the center or the dots or the point or the seed, you know, um, but things tend to emanate from a central point. And so is it possible that we live in a ring land structure where when you go towards the north, there's potentially more land. And when you go towards the south, there might be more land, you know, so I could see a system where 
uh, older entities from other ringlands are maybe taking advantage of what's going on here and they're going to obfuscate the truth for who knows you know it, uh, the reasons might be so far out and wild that we can't even really fathom what's going on you know with that um but i do know that maybe seven rings who knows dude exactly seriously right i mean the alchemists talk about seven spheres all the time seriously like i'm saying that would make sense <laughs> there's all yeah. these sevens i'm just saying really like that's because at first it was making me think like like well maybe we're on like a hept a, a heptagon or whatever that's like a shape with seven sides but then when you said the ring thing that kind of made me think like well yeah well why wouldn't it that would be the pattern that's kind of with this realm you know what i mean we see in that pattern of seven because we can recognize patterns sure. right we could see that hey this is hap this is coming up a lot why is it coming up so much I mean, it, I wish seven would come up a little bit more when, uh, you know, I'm playing roulette, but you know what I mean? That's another, that's another story, but <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> hey, Mario. So I think I may have heard you say this before, but you were saying it like these ring lands. So you think it's kind of like a, like a Russian doll in a sense, right? Like maybe you got like the one that's in this, in the center and then you got one that builds on the outside and then they just keep building. You got it. In a sense. Yep. Just like, uh, the growth rings of a tree. Yeah, exactly. And so um, if people are interested in that line of thinking, um, I would look up older presentations by Martin Kenny. He's done some interesting work on that. But yeah, exactly right. It's a nested doll sort of situation, potentially uh, a nested toroidal situation. So what this means, too, by the way, kind of circling back to some of the stuff we we're talking about earlier, is that this central location of the north may not just be the central location of Earth. It might be the central location of the cosmos. Think about it like a nested toroidal system that the central point, the hyperbola, the opening uh, portion of it is the same no matter what ringland you're on or no matter how far in or out you're on. I don't know if you guys have ever played um, Elden Ring, you know, but there's a huge tree. There's a huge, gigantic tree in Elden Ring. You know, I haven't even played Everybody it. Everybody in my house plays it but me. Okay, right on. Yeah, yeah. But just imagine <laughs> my son that plays it, my girl plays it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, it looks rad. Um, but you know, there's this huge world tree. And so just imagine it's the same trunk. Yeah. You know, no matter what, again, no matter where you're at in this space, it's the same trunk that goes in and out. You know, this is um the way to travel between realms and what have you. And so once again, I'm very comfortable saying that is me speculating. That's me having a little bit of fun. That's me kind of putting some of the pieces uh, together based on what I've heard over the years and everything else. Do I know that that's the case? Nah, man, I don't. Uh, but I think it's very interesting, and I think there might but be something to it. it's an educated guess, though. Yes, exactly. It's an educated guess because you have, like, done research on it, and you have put stuff together. You just can't, like, none of us could. Like, I can't say, like, oh, the Earth is completely round or, or, or it's this shape. We could say it, but that doesn't mean we actually know it because knowing and saying something is two different things, you know, like, but when you have stuff to kind of back it up and maybe you don't have all the receipts, but when you're putting down those patterns and putting it together, it makes a lot more sense that it would be something more. Cause I do think that it's more complicated than any of us think, right? Like we always want to simplify it for our own brains. Like, and when you're going with the trees, it, most ancient cultures too, right? Isn't there a big like thing with trees, like not even just like center, but in general, like, because that's like a key to nature, you know, like when you're growing up, they're like talking about trees. I know we obviously heard about like save the rainforest. That's a little different, but I think there's this importance around trees and that could be the rings within them that has some essence to what we're living on. Right. Like that's why we're maybe attracted to that. Like we're we gravitate towards things that are already in our realm 
of thought without, you know, subconsciously go into that like, oh, well, this is not even knowing why. And I think that now, obviously, it's a little different with how society's built. But when more primitive societies, they were more into the wilderness and they in trees and they 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 kind of they didn't worship them, but they respected like the nature and the trees and what they could do. And maybe that's part of it. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, you got it. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, the symbolism is is simpler, too, than heliocentrism. You know, I'm talking about the center with heliocentrism, with astrology. I don't know if you guys have ever looked at a natal chart and how complicated they can get, you know, but uh, I feel as though this line of thinking is much simpler. It's more holistic. That's another thing. Uh, geocentrism versus heliocentrism. I think that it makes uh, it makes things a lot clearer uh, to the layman. You know, if you present it in a certain kind of way or whatever. And so that's one of the big appeals for me with all of this stuff is that um, and on one hand, I agree with you. It might be way more complicated than we realize, but it also might be way simpler than what we realize. And that things are, um, you know, they've been presented in such a way that only the priest class, only the experts, you know, can tell us what's really going on. What if it's not really like that, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be either because, like you said, it can be. It may be complex to us at the moment because we don't know. Like when you go to like someone's house for the first time, right, and everything looks like, whoa, man, it looks crazy. When you go there routinely, it's like normal, right? Everything you know where everything's in place, but you have this like almost like, whoa, what, man, look how their kitchen looks, even though it's just a regular kitchen. But in your mind, it's all fresh, it's all new. So that's why we think of it as so complex because. It seems that way to us because we can't understand it. And but once we would actually see the information, like you said, it might be very, very simple. Because I, I do tend to think that most of in the truther community and stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, you cut out for a second. Um, but uh, I think I got, I think I got the gist of what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things too I just want to mention is that there is a long tradition associating the northern portion of Earth with the Garden of Eden. And notice that the Garden of Eden, uh, especially when you just look at any painting of the Garden of Eden. Um, there's always a tree, right? This is symbolic of basically what I'm talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the northern portion of Earth has also been compared to... I was just about to, to bring up the tree of life. Oh, nice. Nice. Hell yeah, you should. Uh, it's also been compared to uh, paradise, you know, and the fountain of youth and everything else. So I think that there's a lot of things out there, and you guys might appreciate this, but I think there's a lot of things out there where people are trying to find relics, the Holy Grail, the Spear of Destiny, things like that. I think they're all northern symbols. You know, the Philosopher's Stone, you know, um, Atlantis, you know, I think these are northern symbols. I think that, you know, trying to find some of these actual artifacts, I think it's fascinating. I've read stuff like that, but uh, I think a lot of it's allegorical. But what were you going to bring up with uh, the Tree of Life? No, it wasn't a whole lot. I just when you guys were talking about trees, I was thinking about the Tree of Life and the Garden of Eden. And you mentioned that people think that the Garden of Eden could be the North Pole, which I've actually heard plenty of times as well. So, you know, I'm open to that idea, too. I know I know. Generally speaking, I've always thought about the Garden of Eden being inside the earth. You know, I've always thought about, um, you know, Agartha and all these places uh, beneath the earth. Uh, but man, this is a whole different line of thinking. And I, I, I like it. I mean, it's definitely got my mind working a, a few different ways that I haven't thought about before. And I really kind of like this idea that you said of this of this uh, almost dimensional place at the North Pole but it could be like the center where all these places kind of converge. If I'm correct in how you're talking about it. Exactly. Yeah, no, dude, th this has been an idea that's existed 
for a very, 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 very long time. Thousands and thousands of years, people have thought this. And so that's why I'm really fascinated with all this stuff is this isn't new school. This is old school. This is, you know, way ancient stuff. So this is kind of primordial, to be honest, uh, people thinking these sorts of things. And so there's still a lot of indigenous tribes where they have a sacred center location and they'll put a pole, you know, right there. And it's used for initiation purposes or someone has to climb the pole or they light it on fire or they have all these different things kind of going on. But essentially what they're trying to do is they're mimicking the bridge that exists at the north. And so these sacred center locations, they exist all over the place, but they're all mirroring this original sacred center location. And this was the thing, once again, as above, so below, people had an understanding of what the cosmos was like, what was going on, everything revolving around Polaris. So they figured that they should mirror that, um, you know, terrestrially. They should mirror that in their home. They should mirror that in their community. They should mirror that just with everything because they figured it was so divine. If the cosmos is designed this way, well, then that seems like a pretty good thing to actually just kind of copy, essentially, you know, to revere it and everything else. So, um, yeah, this is old, old stuff for sure. And, you know, one of the hey, clues... I just thought about something. Go for it. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, I just thought about something really crazy. So say that you go to the North Pole and you're able, I'm assuming at that point you could move between these different uh, lands. Uh, if I'm correct with how you're talking about how that this could be the center of where all of these lands kind of converge. Um, let me ask you about this, though. So, you know, a lot of people talk about the veil being thinned and you know, things being able to move in and out between this veil being thin now, you know, people are seeing a lot more of these quote unquote cryptids and, and, and entities and things like that. How do you think that core like connects to this North Pole, uh, you know, almost portaling system at, at the top of the earth or, you know, however you want to say it? Exactly. Um, you know, my hunch, again, speculation, I think that it's possible that some of the cryptids, some of uh, the aerial sightings that people have had, we were talking before the show, I've seen a lot of UFOs uh, or whatever you want to call them in the sky, things I can't explain with uh, using night vision goggles and stuff. They're coming from somewhere and they're going somewhere, obviously, you know, but I think that it's not beyond the realm of possibility to think that some of what we're interfacing with some of the more mysterious aspects of uh, what happens here has to do with the fact that we're dealing with things from other places and they're not coming from outer space. They're coming from, and I'm using air quotes right here, outer space, but they're not coming from outer space. You know what I mean? And so I do think that a lot of the things that people interface with are actually closer to home than what uh, we've been told. So if you were to follow kind of uh, the model that Hollywood gives us, Everything is from light years away. Everything comes from, you know, whatever star systems and blah, blah, blah. I think it's actually uh, more local than that. I think with all of this stuff, I think we're dealing with things that are actually more local than not. Um, and so I think that that is absolutely a, a possibility that somehow they're either using, you know, this system to get around or whatever, or that simply that they're coming from different places. Uh, there is a theory that. People have put out there that these ring lands, there is some sort of membrane or there is some sort of field between these lands and that on occasion, these fields get thin and things can go, you know, and travel between domains or whatever. 
And so that is one theory, perhaps just like a the tree kind of analogy, but perhaps when there's a, n- a new growth ring, you know, the thin is uh, the veil is thin so that things can kind of go between uh, lands or what have you. So I don't really know, but I'm glad you asked that because I think it's fascinating. Now, do you also, I, this is a whole different question, but uh, with the, the whole flat earth society and uh, like the movement that really got heavy in the two thousands, right? Maybe is it possible that that those theories were cemented in and trying to like fabricate, not fabricated necessarily because it could be mixed with some truth. You know what I mean? But created as a psychological operation to kind of push people away from other things like, hey, don't look at the north. You know, don't look at the geometrics, you know, the, the different systems like it's either this one or it's this one be, to make it argumentative. Right. So that people can actually really have uh, a real critical thinking like a mind session of what is going on uh, with the planet. And you've seen this polar, sh- this huge shift, uh, no pun intended, polar, <laughs> but the polarization of people, not, not just through politics, but through these, like the flat earth or, or, or globe earth, maybe that it was constructed from some, uh, uh, you know, to, to really get away from the whole North uh, star analogy that you're talking. Sure. About. Sure. Yeah. You know, the reasons could be many, but I do have a hunch that there is uh, some psyop stuff at play with uh, everything kind of popping off when it did. And I was right on that first wave too. So <laughs> like 2014 is kind of how I look at it. And I was all in. I was actually, to be honest, when I first first heard about it, I was like, well, I don't know about this, guys. You know, but it kind of was this thing where over the course of several months and reading a little bit more about it, uh, I started getting more and more curious. And then there was just way more personalities out there after several years that were talking about it. And so... That was my rabbit hole for a while, for sure. But yeah, in hindsight, I think that that's not out of the realm of possibility either, for sure. And again, it could be for a few different reasons. Um, And I'll add, too, you mentioned pole shift. I think that's really interesting that you say that because I think that pole shift as kind of a um, term or as a phenomenon, I think, has uh, its place with everything that I'm talking about in that it depends on who you ask. Some people think that precession... Uh, meaning that uh, the precession of the equinoxes change, meaning that the pole star actually changes too. And so pole shift um, could be a reference to the pole star changing. And there are different charts out there that you can look at where people say that these were the earlier pole stars. And there are some people who believe that precession does not exist and that it never has and that that's its own psyop. So it just depends on who you talk to about all this stuff. But I think pole shift might have something to do with either the pole star changing uh, or it could ha- uh, could potentially have to do with the fact that the pole shifted from the pole star to the sun. And so our attention basically shifted from the northern sky to the sun. And so the thing about the northern sky, by the way, um, is that these stars are known as circumpolar. So Ursa Major, Minor, Draco, Polaris... They're called circumpolar because for most people on Earth, they do not dip below the horizon line. Um, You can see these constellations year round. The more north you are, uh, the more likely that's the case. But the ecliptic, the path of the sun, does dip below the horizon line, which is why the sun sets and rises every single day. Right. And so these stars were considered eternal stars. They were called imperishable stars. So when you looked at the northern sky, I look at Polaris every single day. 
you know so uh i know it's there every single day i don't have to change my direction i don't have to look a different way depending on the season i don't have to do anything different i know exactly where polaris is at it'll never change and so there's this stillness you know it's the hub of a wheel it's where everything pivots around but uh because of that it really uh has been compared to kind of this uh, ever-present god i guess you can say you know versus the ecliptic or the sun if i were to look at the sun every day it depends on what time i get up it depends you know on when i'm looking and and the time of year and everything else but it's constantly changing and it's constantly rising and it's constantly setting as is the moon but the pole star it's always there it's always in the same location you know it's reliable that way which is why it is the guiding star you know and what i was going to say earlier too regarding the guiding star is that uh mary as in the virgin mary uh, one of her titles is Stella Maris, which means star of the sea, Mary star of the sea. And this is a reference to the North Star. And so there's artwork you can find out there where it's Mary at the ocean and there's a star behind her. And she was supposed to be the guiding star for Christ. And so there's a lot of goddess symbolism associated with the North Star. And so, um, you know, the church reappropriated some of that symbolism, attributed it to Mary. And so you can kind of look into that if people are interested. Um, but you know, the other thing too, that I wanted to mention is that the compass is such a huge key to this, uh, rabbit hole because the needle, the magnetized needle always points North. And so it revolutionized, you know, navigation, but it's also a clue to deeper spiritual insights and deeper symbolic awareness, I would argue is that it always points north. That's really, really significant and worth kind of chewing on if you've never considered that. But that is a huge, huge clue uh, to all the things I feel like I'm saying is the compass itself, as simple as it is. Now, do you think now, now do you think the North Star is at the center of all of these different lands? Now, if we're saying that everything converges at this like place at the top that's i know that's just a working theory that you have but in in your working theory do you think that all these other lands see that as well as their point of reference um at the top that's a great question uh as far as i'm aware and i have a buddy in australia i've asked him a few questions about this you know once you're so far south you do not see these circumpolar constellations. So you do not see the North Star. But symbolically, you know, if what I'm saying is the case, it's just always there, but you're so far out that you you can't witness it. And also um, the North Star, too, contrary to a lot of popular opinions, it's actually not the brightest star in the sky. That used to be a thing. People used to say that. I don't know if it's dimmed over the years or what the deal is, but it, it is not the brightest star in the sky. So kind of that coupled with that, um, you know, I think symbolically, yes, that it is the central star, but um, I can they actually see it? I'm not sure. And then also it kind of raises the question, then what do if there's an inner ring land, um, what do they see? <laughs> you know, and so uh, to me, this is a whole fascinating sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, that's a great question. So in theory, really, there could be, a, like you said, a couple of inner circles. We don't even necessarily have to be the inner circle because. Um, there's only so much we've traveled, right? You know what I mean? That there's like, we don't know everything. Like we know what people have told us like, Hey, well this, I went here, I went here, but we don't know all the places they traveled. So in theory, there could be an inner circle or a few inner circles. We could be four or three, you know what I mean? And there's two inner ones 
and we, we don't have to necessarily, and there could be a center in each one, right? Like that, like the center point of that mass. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, we have no idea. I have no idea how many inner lands there might be. And it's really funny too, even just think about the words inner, outer, you know, um, it, it's when you kind of look at it from a different perspective, it means actually a few different things. So even as an example with with the compass, I mean, don't they say that the reason why the compass actually works is because of what exists in the middle of Earth? You know, even the word middle, you know, it's like, well, what middle are we talking about? Are we talking about physically the middle, you know, of like a sphere, the innermost part of like a sphere? Or are you talking about the middle of like something else, like a piece of paper or something like that, you know, or whatever the thing might be? Um, there's also theories, too, that the North Star is the middle, is actually the middle and that we live in a hollow sphere and we're living kind of like in the uh, outer ed edges of a sphere and that when we're looking up, we're actually looking in, you know, so that's something that people have also put out there as well. So, you know, I'm not sure, but it reminds me of the whole idea, too, that in the northern sky, I know I'm bringing up all this stuff having to do with God and, and heaven and whatever, but uh, there is a tradition associating it with the underworld as well. And so it actually might be one and the same that the um, the heavens and the underworld might be in the same location. I could see that too, because that, that makes more sense of how things are right. And, and how above is below, right. Wouldn't that be the same thing? Like, and that could mean multiple things. Doesn't necessarily mean below, below, but what we consider below so that it may be in the same exact spot. Like, why wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's fascinating. So that's something I've looked into a little bit as well. And that seems to be talked about more uh, with groups who are maybe more aligned with black magic and, and things like that. Um, just kind of like dark occultists and what have you. Um, there's a whole thing about a lot of uh, groups. I'll just say it. I think there's a lot of groups who, like the Freemasons, you know, they're, they're well known for uh, dressing up and having uh, theatrical sort of things and whatever and, and doing their rituals and, and whatnot. Um, I think there's groups out there that exist today that are not worshiping, uh, you know, the gods of Egypt or of, you know, ancient Greece or something like that. But they're actually uh, working with the Lovecraftian gods. And so it's all about Lovecraftian black magic for some of these guys. And when you get into that, you start finding all of this Polaris stuff and you start finding stuff having to do with the Northern sky and basically everything that I'm kind of talking about, but they interface with it using uh, the Lovecraftian mythos, Cthulhu and things like that. Yeah. So do you think that some of these, uh, you're, you just brought the Freemasons and, you know, I would assume some of the other uh, secret societies that are built more around uh, sun worship and all that do you think that they you know maybe the inner workings of some of these groups do understand this uh polaris uh worship mentality and these uh other uh as far as sun worship and uh some of these belief systems were created as almost like a barrier um to the in the inner workings the inside of some of these communities uh yeah i think that's definitely possible for sure and I don't know, as an example, if you were to talk to 100 Freemasons, how many of them would be aware of any of this stuff, you know, but when you look at their artwork, <laughs> right, exactly. And so but when you look at the artwork, a lot of the symbolism really stands out. And so you know how it is, too. It's like when it comes to symbolism, there's layers to all this stuff. 
And so somebody, uh, if you just talk about any symbol, it doesn't matter, uh, a tree, you know, someone who has no awareness of any of this stuff, but they're a symbologist, they would have a, a different take. Oh, well, it's all about life and growth and uh, fertility, maybe, or whatever, you know, uh, nature sort of uh, worship or what have you. But there's layers. So I see world tree symbolism. I see the Axis Mundi. I see the northern stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's possible that some of the heliocentric solar stuff um, is kind of a veil from deeper truths and deeper, uh, you know, awarenesses, I guess. And um, I think that that's kind of an issue that I see personally with some symbologists um, is that and syncretists, they're trying to syncretize everything. They're trying to get they're trying to find the keystone, you know, or the thing that makes sense with everything else. And for a lot of people, it is the sun. and that's fine if that's how you roll, but I, I just see that there's something beyond that. I think that um, at the very least, what I think people need to realize is that most people think it's just a sun moon sort of dynamic here on Earth. But uh, the pole star and the northern sky needs to be taken into consideration. I think it's actually more like a trinity of sorts is that there. Yes, the sun is super important. It's super powerful. The moon, same thing. But the pole star also has um, the, a part that it plays and it's really significant and it's really, really ancient. And so I think that it makes a lot of sense to kind of think about, you know, um, these planets or uh, think about uh, this as kind of like a trinity of sorts, I guess, is that they all play their own, you know, role. And so that's kind of one of the things that I'm passionate about is just bringing awareness to that. And if you think when you said Trinity, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the the sign of the cross where, you know, you got the Father uh, represent maybe the sun-ish, uh, the, the, the sun, the, the moon, and then the Holy Spirit, the two poles, right? Because you go to two sides. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because this actually, too, um, there's a whole conversation to be had with magnetism and the power of magnetism and how it relates to magic and polarity and positive and negative and we're talking about pole symbolism you know and so um yeah you're absolutely right for sure um so yeah i mean there's like i said there's so many different angles with all this stuff that we can get into uh i think we did a pretty decent job scratching the surface though at the very least right now let me ask you this though so we're talking about the ring systems and you talked about you know we've got the north star sun moon so what about these other ring systems what's your theory on that do they have similar setup as we do or is it different per ring system that's a really fun question man you know i think that it's possible that they have different systems actually and what people have said and once again i'll shout him out martin kenny he did a lot of work years ago and he put together some uh really classic presentations in my opinion um about some of this stuff but his working theory and he has receipts for some of this stuff as well so he he's also putting things together but he thinks that it's possible that in this domain we have the sun and the moon but that um you know the domain the next one over the next ringland is potentially venus mars and then the next ringland is jupiter and the sun and that when you look at these classic planets they actually create these uh, a really nice complementary pair. So, you know, most people think that the sun is masculine, the moon is feminine. There are groups who have that completely flipped, by the way. Like in Norse mythology, uh, if you're looking at it through that lens, the sun is actually feminine and the moon is masculine. But 
for all intents and purposes, let's say the moon is feminine, the sun is masculine, in the ringland uh, where Mars and Venus are the sun and moon, Mars is masculine, Venus would be feminine, and then in the ringland with Jupiter and Saturn, that Jupiter would be uh, the more masculine one. It's very expansive and big and grand and related to, you know, kings and emperors and things like that. And then Saturn would be more feminine. Saturn is more restrictive. It's more associated with black and kind of chaos and things like that. And the kicker, to me, this is the really fascinating thing, that the innermost ringland, he says, actually just has one planetary association because this planet is androgynous and basically uh, encapsulates the polarity of, of both masculine and feminine, and that's Mercury. That the innermost ringland corresponds with Mercury uh, because Mercury is both feminine and masculine, essentially. And to me, this makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. And it kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier regarding the psychopomp thing going up and down the post and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, to me, that's really intriguing. So that's his take. It's almost like that's the solar system, right? Like is 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 it's the it's kind of like what we see, what they do show. You know how they say they got to show you, uh, you know, really reveal to you. So when you look at the solar system, like what they have, it is rings, right? Like, you know, like when you see the models uh, in school, in your science grade, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, whatever, you see all and they're all rings. So that's why it does kind of resonate with me when you're saying that, because I feel like it is like a like obviously it doesn't have to be that exact of what they're showing us, but it still rings. And then it's these other lands. And I just watched uh, the new Avatar, right? I watched the new Avatar movie and it kind of reminds me of that a little bit of. There's these other worlds that maybe are totally different, but they're in the same realm. And that would make we're in realms, right? And you're going into each ring, which is a different realm. Right. And see, Mario, you're explaining why we can see the planets, too. So this is you, you kind of went into a whole different realm of this making more sense to me as far as uh, from an aspect I've never thought about. Because people always wonder, like, well, if the Earth's flat, why can I see the planets? You know what I mean? Like, why can I get a telescope? Why can I see the planets? Well, if they're if they're if they're representation of these ring worlds, then yeah, we could see them. That's why they're far away. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's just a thought. Try this on for size, man. Some people have speculated that when NASA says anything, really, that there's actually more truth to what they're saying. Uh, than what you would maybe initially think if you're skeptical of everything they say, which I am, right? But that they put in little things to kind of give you clues and hints and, and things like that, right? But when they're saying we're going to Mars, are they literally meaning Mars or the ringland that Mars governs, where Mars is actually the sun, you know? And so are they actually referencing when they're talking about these different planets, are they talking about ringlands that correspond? with these different planets. You know, I don't know, but I'm just going to throw oh, that man. out there. Blowing my mind today, Mario. God. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> my cheeks tight. My butt cheeks got tight, y'all. <laughs> man, this is great. Oh, happy man, to hear this it, is dude. wild. That's red. Yeah, yes, man. And, this you know, is nuts. I never really thought about it that way, though. It's crazy. I know. It blew my mind when I first heard it, too. And But it does make sense. And uh, I don't think I've said it in this episode, Sean, but, you know, you brought up the solar system. The switch is that I don't think personally now 
I don't think we live in a solar system. I think we live in a polar system. That's the deal. We live in a polar-based system, meaning that everything revolves around this central pole. You know, that's how I look at it personally. That's what I'm saying. It makes a lot of sense. And when you can break it down to uh, kind of fit multiple models, right? Because like you said, there we don't know any definite model of anything. But when you can make it sound logical where you can actually see and you're like, yeah, that, that can actually be. And you answer questions, right? Because like Joel said, now that answers a question like when people are like, well, how come I could see that? Well, of course you could see it because it's still in this. It's still part of it. It's It's almost similar to what they're showing you, but a different form of it. Space is like you said, what's outer? It's just outer. It, and space can be anything. Like I could have dead space in, in, in a room, right? It's an empty space. So outer space is just what's outer from whatever our ring, whatever ring right, you're in. Right, Yeah, no, exactly right, man. So um, yeah, you know, I just think that, again, it's more holistic to see things this way. Um, I know we've talked about the, the growth rings of a tree and how that works. Think about um, how water works. You know, you throw a pebble in a pond and then, you know, you get these ripples and everything emanates from the center. And so it just seems as though that there is this just concept that everything just emanates from the center, from a sacred center, and that a lot of things in this reality basically operate the exact same way. And this is, you know, at the heart of my research, too, basically, especially the more I get into, um, you know, this northern symbolism stuff. And, um, you know, my, my channel is called Symbolic Studies. And so I think one of the things that gives me just a different angle, you know, we, I think we all have a piece of the puzzle, personally. Uh, but what gives me a different angle is that I've been studying symbolism for years now. I have a bunch of books right here that are symbolic reference books. I've got multiple symbolic dictionaries and encyclopedias and like things like that. And so when I look into a symbol, if I want to look into the wheel and what wheel symbolism, what it breaks down to, I'm going to find multiple books in here that say it's the churning of the cosmos. When I look into the world tree or the tree, it's going to say this is the axis mundi. And so unless you've taken the time to either acquire these types of books or go down this rabbit hole, you're not going to be aware of any of this stuff. But I've got dozens of books here that basically back up a lot of this information. So it's really funny. Sometimes I do these shows and I feel like uh, I have to defend a certain kind of idea and, you know, certain concepts. But uh, when I read some of this material, I'm like, but it's all right here. It's just it's all it's telling you all of this stuff, basically. You know what I mean? But unless you've looked into it, you're not going to know that that's kind of the thing. But I'm happy to, you know, make people aware of it. But I also think that you uh, earlier, this was like when we were talking earlier in the beginning, I think it all boils down to like all of this. Everything is good to like look into and, and figure out and try to see where we're at. But if you're not doing it for your own like personal gain of becoming better and, and, and becoming growing and, and becoming who you are and what you're about to blossom into, then it's all for nothing. You know what I mean? So like I think that the research is great. I think like looking into stuff is great. But to believe into that stuff with as far as not letting it get out of control of who you are. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people get into all of these subjects and it gets a little bit too much for them or they get too uh, uh, invested that they ha they don't look any further. They're not even furthering their own personal growth because they're stuck on, on something that they have to be right about. And you're kind of like, that's why I kind of like why well, you break stuff down. Not only are you saying when you speculate, you're saying when you have receipts, you know what I mean? So like I, that to me, I think that it brings out good character and it gives me more options of being a critical thinker that I could tell like the genuineness of what you're speaking 
and at the whole, it's being that person and trying to be the best form of who you can be and reaching in within yourself is why it's, that's why your work is more important. Not to me, you know what I mean? And that's my own personal opinion. Cause that's why I like people like that. Cause then I can actually relate to what you're saying and I could actually get the information instead of blocking it off because we're now in a combative mode. You know what I mean? That's right. You got it. Thanks for saying that too. I really appreciate that. And you got it, dude. You know, the way I look at it personally is I, I just see, I see so many people and they're questioning everything around them and they're questioning this news story. They're questioning this ad or this soundbite or this person, this podcast, some interview they're listening to. But unless you're questioning yourself, you are missing a big piece of the puzzle. I think questioning one thing should que should lead to questioning all things, including yourself. And so that's one of the things that I try and flip it into, you know, your own personal work and, you know, your true authenticity, whatever that might be. And that's also my approach with the tarot, too. So I do tarot readings for people, things like that. But I tell people things that they don't always want to hear because I remind them of the part they've played in their own life. I remind them of the decisions that they've made. I've remind, I remind them of the, uh, their perspective and how it's creating a certain kind of uh, energy in their life and everything else. You know, a lot of people, they want to have a scapegoat or a savior. And I don't want any of that personally. You know, I am my own scapegoat. I am my own savior. So I tend to internalize all of these things. And even when I look at like mythology and the gods um, and goddesses of uh, the ancient world, you know, and we're talking about different myths and whatever. You know, I, they're all part of us. You know, that's how I tend to look at it is that it's like Odin. He, he's not outside of me. You know, um, all of these gods, they're not outside of me. They're, they're aspects of, of us, you know, and our psychology and our spirit and everything else. And so I tend to just internalize all this stuff. And so once I came across that, this is an angle with uh, northern symbolism, geocentrism, everything like that. I was like, whoa, this is, I, I'm getting a lot out of this. So I'm just going to continue following it. And now I'm just at the point where I really want to kind of make people aware of it. And if people get something out of it, that's awesome. And not everyone is going to be ready for it. They're not interested. And, you know, people have their different agendas and, and things like that. And that's fine. Uh, but people who are open to it, I definitely want to talk to them about it and let them know what I've come across. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is, man, I'm telling you, this has been really mind-blowing. For everybody that's listening, Mario got Joel Thomas's butt cheeks tight. I'm always getting y'all's butt cheeks tight. He got me tight today. This was wild. I'm telling you right now, this is interesting, man. And it it explains things in a way that makes sense um, to people that just can't get outside of the scope of what they've been taught their whole lives. And I think that that's important as we try to dig and try to get to the truth. And man, you said something really good. And I've been railing on this for the past, I don't know how many years about NASA. As much as I believe NASA's a lying sack of shit, I do think they give us a lot of truth. Uh, and, and funny enough, I think a lot of these pictures and a lot of these things that they show us, as fake as some of them are, I think they slide some real stuff in there, too. I think when they give us certain ones, along with the ones that are obviously fake in our minds, I think some of them are true. You know, I, I, I used to joke around all the time. I was like, I think maybe those old Mars pictures might have been real pictures of maybe, like you said, this land beyond the ring. The, the next ring. We don't know. And we don't know what kind of 
contact these elites may have or some pact they may have with these other ring systems. We don't know how this operates. If, if it is like you said, where it's like an inner and it keeps going out, we don't know how far it goes out. We don't know how far it goes in. And we don't know, um, you know, what kind of uh, barriers that have been created to keep us from that. And then it starts to make you wonder, you know, Atlantis, was that one of the rings? Was that was that something that people were able to move in and out of because of technology um, that's lost to us now? I mean, there's so much uh, about this theory that really gets your mind working because you're not negating the heavenly bodies. And I think that's what's really interesting here is people get hung up on the heavenly bodies and they say that's the reason why that flat earth can't exist. Well, You've, you've made it an explanation for that. You say that each heavenly body is a part of these rings. We don't even know how far that goes out. So that's a, that's a very interesting model that I've never heard before. And I think this is just fascinating to me. Right on, man. Right on. That's awesome that you're getting that much out of it because I was geeking out on this stuff. I've been geeking out on this stuff for years, you know, and I'm always like, how are people not more interested in this material? You know what I mean? But uh, the more I've looked into it, the more I've been able to actually uh, verbalize some of this stuff and actually kind of put some of the pieces together more from a symbolic perspective of like, you know what? This is really um, this northern symbolism stuff. It syncretizes so much and it's holistic and it's simple in a lot of ways, you know, that I think a lot of people uh, can appreciate it. And like I said, it goes back to, um, you know, the ones and zeros of everything, which literally the one is the pole. And uh, the zero is the whole. And that's kind of one of the things I always talk about, too, is that when it comes to symbolism, it really breaks down to poles and holes, you know? So there is actually, when I'm talking about this central pole, there is also a central hole, which is why I'm talking about these phallic objects at the center, but also these openings as well, and these portals as well, you know? Because there's, um, symbolically at least, there is uh, there's a sexual component of what's happening at the north of this pole and this hole. You know, and it's like it's sexual symbolism, dude. It's really simple. It's like just take a man and a woman, see what happens, see what the deal is about. You know, it goes back to the birds and bees. You know, it's nuts and bolts. It's poles and holes, you know. And so I think that when I'm talking about that pole, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that world cosmic access uh, axis that basically bridges the gap between realms and realities, you know, which people once again, this is not new school. This is super old school. People have been talking about this for a very, very long time. So if people want to learn more about this specific topic, just Google Axis Mundi, you know, and there's there's stuff out there for sure. And uh, a lot of newer, you know, symbolic dictionaries or reference books don't have it. So kind of, uh, you know, older material tends to be better uh, in that regard. But yeah, you'll see everything that I'm talking about. Well, I think the reason why it hasn't got there, got out there as much is because there's uh, figures out there that have either, whether it be nefarious on their own purposes or just because maybe they're getting a following of it or whatever, right? They're sticking to the same talking points, and those talking points have been uh, passed around and passed around. So now when somebody hears anything about alternate from the heliometrics uh, model, they automatically assume He's talking about flat earth, the same thing that I heard this other guy say. So every single time it triggers into people's brains to not listen. 
You know what I mean? Because they're like, hey, I'm not going to listen. That's He's going to say the same thing that I just heard 20 other guys said online. Or when I seen the, uh, uh, what's it called, Flatter Dave battle, uh, uh, go against uh, uh, what the scientist Dave or the other Dave, whatever the hell that guy is. But that's what we see, right? We see, that's what we perceive every time we hear those conversations. So we don't even get to get in depth into it because we're closing it off right away because we heard the same thing. Now, when someone brings it to a whole different perspective and that changes everything to me, but it's hard for people like you to get it out there because other people are kind of washing it out, that message out there with things that like partial, partial truths, you know what I mean? And I'm not even saying they're intentionally lying. I don't think that they're all just like, oh yeah, we got a plan. I think it's just someone threw it out there in the ether and people ran with it, you know? And then instead of looking and elaborating further, they were cool with the information they got. And they were like, this is all the information I need. I'm done. And that's some of the human nature of where people don't like to grow. And if you're not going to continuously grow, then you're stuck. And whether it be a narrative, whether it be an idea, whether it be a hypothesis or any of our research, we have to continuously growing and, and changing our perspectives. Like we've talked to many times, like there's people that have been studying Bigfoot for 50, 60, 70 years, and they still have the same exact thought that it can only be that he's a physical creature that lives at, you know what I mean? They, they're not even in the realm of possibility of that, hey, he could be from another dimension or that it could be, you know, experimentation or they, they won't allow themselves to get that information and process it with the information they've been researching because they're, they're just stuck in their ways and people don't really want to expand. I think there's many people in this world that are, fine with where they're at and that they have the information that that's good information and it's not going to change and they've got it figured out so don't worry about it and they're only stunting themselves because they're not allowing themselves to really build and become a better person because they're not growing and if you're not growing that's what i like from all of this from having discussions i grow every day like i learned not just learning and hey this is a great subject because there's all kinds of theories there's you know evidence to show uh hidden history that's great but at the same time it's also actually making me feel closer to myself because now I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that, that I am kind of onto something. It is good that I question things. It is good that I question myself. And when you were talking about earlier about how people don't like to question themselves, I, I tell a lot of friends and people when we're talking about relationships, that's kind of the same thing. Like people are like, oh, yeah, my ex was horrible, man. She was a bitch and this and that. Well, you, you're not even putting the components together of what you may have done that had also caused that. So now you're never going to be able to have a healthy relationship because you're stuck in this pattern of it's their fault. It's uh, uh they they did this and 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 I didn't do anything. So you're not even like looking in yourself like, yeah, maybe when I did this, this caused this action doesn't dismiss what they did. But they want to always have that enemy, like you said, or 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 a hero, right? Right? Like there's we have a big problem with idolization right now, whether whatever it may be, people idolize people in the conspiratorial world or mainstream music or whatever it may be. They have to get away from the heroes and the villains because we are that. You know, you said we're a scapegoat or we're a hero. That's us. Like we have to do it ourselves. And and that's the hard part is people don't want to look within themselves and do the work because it, it's not always easy. But once you start doing it, it does become very easy and you don't you're not beating yourself up now instead of like hiding away and like I'm perfect and I can never be wrong. And I, all my relationships are bad because they're bad instead of realizing, Hey, maybe I can improve myself, which in turn improves your relationships, improves your thought process, improves uh, uh, your total growth. Exactly right, man. Yeah. I co-sign all of that. Honestly, um, it's beautiful stuff because I think that that is really one of the biggest problems. Um, with people today is that they're just not looking inward and instead they want all of this external like i used earlier uh validation for everything you know so everything is outside of themselves 
Um, and I think that's what heliocentrism too kind of promotes, if I'm being honest, from my uh, perspective is that heliocentrism to me, what it reminds me of is the science is settled. No, we know exactly what's going on. We know exactly how far the sun is. We know exactly how big it is. We know exactly what it's made out of. We know where these planets are at. We know what they're made out of. We know everything that's kind of going on. And so it really takes the mystery out of everything. And so that's one of the fascinating things about this Northern symbolism stuff and, and kind of um, the geocentric correspondence with it and everything else is that it's revealing yet mysterious. And so it kind of draws you in. So it gives you a lot. You know, and so as I've shared with you guys today, but it also there's still this mysterious thing about it. There's still this kind of um, there's still things to unpack and there's still things to learn. And that is the journey of the soul, man. You know, so like the personal work never ends. And that's just how it is. So as you uncover more layers of self and you get to the core of who you actually are, you're going to uncover new layers that maybe are a little traumatic, you know, things that maybe you hadn't thought about in a long time. You're going to find new triggers, you know, things like that. And so. To me, the journey of, of the soul really is just like the journey of individuation and figuring out who you are, but that process never ends. And so therefore, I think it really is important just to appreciate the journey behind it, you know, not get so caught up in, you know, um, the end result of anything, but just appreciate the fact that you're actually walking this path. You know, this is the path of the fool in tarot. This is the first card in the major arcana. And so, um, yeah, man, I'm into all of that um, for sure. And I just think thinking that the science is settled on everything. I know you guys love the cryptid thing and all that kind of stuff. I think that's really healthy. I think people need to embrace the mysteries. I think people need to embrace death. I think people need to embrace chaos and the darkness and things like that. You know, heliocentrism, there's a lot of it that reminds me quite a bit of uh, just the new age culture, love and light and bliss and things like that. You know, it's like it's really community, you know, others Dude, don't get me wrong. I love people. You know, I have a lot of great friends, uh, great community around me. But it's like, unless you're taking care of your own shit, you know, you're probably just going to bring them down, essentially. So we would all be better off if we just did our own inner work, you know, our personal work. Hey, I'll tell you something, Mario. I There's a guy that uh, I trust. I've known him for a long time, and, and he and I talk about a lot of stuff. And one thing that he told me recently that really stuck with me when we were talking about pain and, and dealing with uh, personal growth through pain is sometimes when you're in the middle of that and you feel really nasty or whatever, sometimes it's good to just sit there with it instead of running from it or pushing it away or whatever. Sometimes just sitting there and holding it. And that's part of that refining yourself is sitting there with whatever doesn't feel great and understanding what it is because sometimes it's just sitting with it it's not leaving you like like to to, to be able to move uh, on with your life uh it doesn't necessarily mean that it goes away that's not that's not part of growth right that's not what we do as human beings sometimes we need to sit with that pain and understand what it is and then learn how to learn how it can help us grow into a stronger person from it and that's just something that really resonated with me recently uh when this guy uh told me that he's like sometimes just sit there with it man sit there for like 10 15 minutes don't don't try to don't try to find a way to fix it because i think people always want to 
fix something that's going wrong with them instead of sitting with it and understanding that, hey, it's an integral part of my life right now. Like, I have to go through this or this is something I went through, but it's there to help shape me into a better person. And it's tough. It's, ne- it's never easy. I mean, even me, un- even me talking about it here on the show, it, you know, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's not something that I, I'm... You're just like, oh, yeah, just sit with it and it's going to get. No, it's not like that. But I think that for me, it was understanding that, hey, this thing's there and I need to understand it. And part of that is understanding yourself. And it becomes easier, though. You know what I mean? Because you you be you build up these like because I know that, like, I've been trying to, like, you know, be on this little path of like, you know, self-awareness and 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 finding my my negative traits that that I need to work on and things that I could build on my triggers and it's been about 5 6 years and just talking to people like they can tell they're like how are you so calm or how do you? I'm like it doesn't it's not that I don't have these thoughts it's just that now they're limited they're smaller sections instead of a day of me feeling depressed or or negative thoughts or the, it's going to be like minutes now you know what i mean and it came from weeks to days to to hours to now minutes to where i'm like okay i'm recalibrated because it becomes second nature. And now you're able to like go through the these cycles much easier because now you're training yourself. It's just like anything. If you hit the gym the first time you've been sitting on the couch for 15 years, that first gym session is not going to be great, man. It's not going to feel, you're not going to be, you're going to be like, what? No, this is horrible. Like why do people do this to themselves? But after three months of that, it's pretty easy, right? It's, it starts to become second nature where now you see the benefits of it. You're like, you know what? I do feel better when I go uh, to the gym and work out a little bit or when I go on a little hike or when I go for a run. So if we train our brains to these these patterns that we have and, and kind of really adjust to them and then incorporate that with what we're doing, like when we're doing research and finding truth, we're going to find real, real truth because I've said for a long time, everybody likes to use the word red pill. The ultimate red pill is healing yourself. You know what I mean? Heal yourself. And that's the red pill you need to take because that will open up so many other paths because then you don't even care about being right. You care about like, man, this world, this world isn't bad or this is good. And you could appreciate the relationships you have with other people. Like my family is like very important to me and they became even more important to me once I was able to start. He- and I'm not completely healed. Like you said, I'm going to be forever working on this, but at least now I'm in a spot where I can appreciate those things. I love it, guys. No, this is great. And uh, I think that advice that you got, Joel, is um, it's beautiful, really, because also what you're not doing is avoiding. And so what people want to do is they want to, you know, whatever vice gets them going or whatever, uh, oftentimes people will just do that. They'll avoid, you know, with whatever it is uh, that gets them going. But also, too, uh, what I've started doing is honoring my mistakes and honoring my pain and honoring my triggers. And honoring all, all of my traumas and hidden wounds and core wounds and things like that. Because I think that that's a, an important part of it, too, is that you actually have to make peace with it. And you have to accept it. And you have to make peace with self. And there's different ways of, of working on self. But I think that acceptance of self is, is a huge, huge key. So whenever there's something in my life that kind of um, is thrown, uh, you know, a wrench is thrown into a situation or things are kind of topsy-turvy or whatever... Um, I've gotten much better with accepting kind of the situation and accepting my role in the situation as well, instead of trying to avoid it and pacify it in some way, shape or form. Um, and this is all reminding me too, just since we're on this topic of, of healing self and things like that, but you know, this is a classic thing, uh, in war is to 
destroy someone's homeland, you know, and to destroy someone's homeland and then to create refugees and to create uh, a migration of people away from where they grew up and from where uh, their people, um, their ancestors, where they lived and, and where they had a connection to the earth and things like that. And so I think one of the whole deals with this Northern symbolism thing is that I think that in a lot of ways, they've taken this away from us, uh, potentially, you know, with this heliocentric sort of solar system kind of dynamic is that they've taken away the sense of um, belonging and this kind of homeland uh, sacred center kind of concept by throwing things out of whack. And so now we don't have this sort of um, pole or column or, or, or location, you know, that we can actually call home or look towards, you know. And so I just think that there's a ripple effect when you do that. So um, having us be completely unaware of what's happening with all of these different dynamics, I think, uh, like I said, it kind of creates this effect elsewhere in life where you don't feel settled. You don't feel like you belong or whatever. And so that's partly some of the uh, research that I've gotten into with all this stuff is that I think that uh, it's almost like a butterfly effect sort of thing. So turning it from polar to solar has just like, you know, so many different implications that it's definitely hard to get to in one conversation. But I think you guys can kind of appreciate what I'm putting out there. No, I totally agree. Like, I think that's what I kind of picked on, picked up earlier is that like, yeah, it changes everything. Like I like, I think that's a good analogy, the butterfly effect where you know that like you change one thing and now it internally changed everything. And I think maybe I was having this idea while you were talking that maybe that the veil has thinned for some of us or fallen for some of us. And that, that makes us a little bit feel even more out of place, right? Because now we're questioning everything because you still have all that stuff that's been compounded into your brain of like, you're supposed to think like this, this is the right way, this. And now that we have questioned a lot of that and, and done our own work, that now that's what makes us feel out of place at times is because we're actually getting to the right place and everybody else is still kind of on this other, you know what I mean? This other angle of it and they can't let it loose and they're not growing. So Definitely, it makes sense because that happens throughout time in war where we've seen, uh, you know, natives being ripped out of their homes. And then the, like uh, in America, for instance, the natives, Americans, and they, they never were introduced to alcohol. Right. They ripped them out of their homes. They gave them alcohol or put them in bad, shitty situations. So then they, that's internal. Like now they've separated them from their holy lands and their traditions, the things that made them feel part of the earth, that made them feel a part of something. You know what I mean? Doesn't necessarily have to be the earth, but part of something. And now they're and now people are those that have been ripped from their homes are on this endless search for to feel whole again. Because now I'm not whole anymore. You ripped that. You ripped that apart from me. So I think internally we all are, and that's a good analogy. But it, with changing from the northern, the polar to to the the solar, that ripped us apart. Right now we're finding well, where's home. Where 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 is our our center? Because we don't know. And this is subconsciously thinking, obviously. We're not thinking of the center, but we're trying to find that. And that's why there's so many people that seem lost. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, well put. And, uh, you know, you said holy land, and I just can't not think of the potential hole or portal or gateway at the center of everything, you know? And so once you start wrapping your head around this dynamic, it truly is a paradigm shift. It has been for me, at least. You just start seeing it all over the place. And you'll start noticing certain things of like, oh, okay, well, that's a sacred center sort of thing. You know, I can't not go on a hike now and I see all these trees and, um, you know, they're just shooting upward towards the heavens. 
you know they're like little bridges uh toward the cosmos and i'm just like this is all these are all world trees you know in my opinion and so when i'm just out in nature it really trips me out and i'm starting to think that you know this is really kind of a key to unlocking just a lot of truths and uh once you kind of have this in your frame of reference or whatever it's just it's all over the place but uh yeah thank you guys for having me on and, and being able to share some of this i'm glad you guys uh you know are appreciating what i'm saying and uh i appreciate your guys's feedback and input and obviously if you guys ever want to do this again just let me know oh for sure well, this is this saga continued you know what i mean we got a lot of like that's i think a lot, lot not people forget that you don't have to agree on everything it's just like-minded people don't mean they have all the same ideas like-minded people to me are just people that are willing to hear other ideas and be open to it and and we definitely appreciate uh, you joining us, man, and getting on here, man, and breaking it down. But before we head out of here, you think you could let everybody know again where they can find you, you know, your socials and, and your channels and all that? Yeah, of course. So once again, my name is Mario uh, with Symbolic Studies. SymbolicStudies.com is the way, uh, the best way to find just everything, basically. So if you're interested in following me on Instagram, uh, YouTube, whatever, you can find it all there. And I am working on a new series for my channel called True North. And I'm going to be getting into all this stuff. Going to be launching my first episode probably within the next couple of weeks. So I'm really stoked on that. But uh, yeah, this was a great time. Thanks for having me on, man. And you know you can find us at Kill the Mockingbirds on all podcasting streaming sites, including uh, all podcasting 2.0 apps. And don't forget to you can, be, you can become a subscriber on Instagram, $4.99 a month. Kill the Mockingbirds podcast at Instagram. Follow us at Sean Chris Music on Instagram and Van Tesla Music on Instagram. Don't and you can stream all of our music, Joel Thomas and Sean Chris on all platforms. Yeah, and all this ring talk has got me thinking about that nice ring that I'm gonna get my baby Jen Saki, and I'm gonna blaze her up about 25 times when I get off this podcast. And I know she's waiting on me to harass her some more, but it will go down, guys. This is the year. This is the year the gingers come together, and it's going down. And I'm thinking, like, we're getting a little esoteric here, Sean. Why don't we end this on one of my new songs, Plato's Cave, from my new EP, Grins McGriff. And let's do it like that. You know how we do it here. Wake the fuck up or get woke the fuck up. Brat, brat, Bird killers!
Jesus prayed in the garden while his friends slept. Aye. We're just broken pieces to the gold and no missteps. Aye. I'm here to break down all your idols, ritualistic. Yeah. If you don't like it, I don't speak in euphemistic terms. Whoa. The world is run by Charles Montgomery Burns. They keeping it hooded like CERN. They've done it in thirds before the earth was occurred. Uh. And all the friction I'm getting is warranted when your chambers don't echo. Uh. The insurance needed for what I be saying don't come from progressive or gecko. Uh. And why you popping Prosecco uh. if you ain't putting in labor? Uh. I'm taking shots of espresso. Yeah. Every second I favor more than the last. We never get a return on time lost. Look the divine laws. But people looking to wrap it like tacos with lime sauce. Hey. I never cared too much what they saying. Matter of fact, what I'm saying, I ain't here to explain it. On the levels all they see, but they don't see. My creator campaign of politicians for your souls. No debate, but top of the next, I'm calling on Benedict. Arnold, I got me a chopper. Most of our collars are blue. Most of us can't even afford one. Lining up for new iPhones and Jordans. It ain't our blessings, and we praying for misfortunes. On others, on our socials, feeling so important. I'm breaking you down. To make you feel comfortable, nope. just around the opposite sex uh. while creating the monsters' hotness. Uh. These hills we create for ourselves, timelines are nothing but cells. Uh. Shadows dance on the cave from my master. Fires closing in behind us, it don't matter. What we're sensing to 